Hey, before we get started with today's show, I wanted to share an amazing opportunity for college or graduate students interested in promoting organ donation on your campus. The Student Organ Donation Advocates Group, better known as SODA, is offering 11 scholarships for the 2023-2024 school year. To apply, please visit sodanational.org backslash scholarships or contact students at sodanational.org. The deadline to apply is June 15, 2023. Episode 119 features SODA, so maybe you can check it out after you listen to this one. Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, eye donation, and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm one of your hosts, Kirsten Heinz. I'm Joey Boudreau. And I'm Nyla Schwab. And on this episode, I am so excited to be welcoming back Lisa Bradshaw. Right. Cancer survivor, patient advocate, author, previous guest of episodes 133 and 157 of The Gifted Life. Listen in to hear what she's up to now. And I'll be talking about boundaries. I know we hear those words a lot. And so we'll just kind of be talking about why it's important for us. I can't wait to hear all of this. Let's get going. Well, guys, I am really excited that I get to be uh, with you today to welcome back Miss Lisa Bradshaw. Uh, hey, Lisa. Hey, thanks for having me again. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, for those of you uh, hearing Lisa's voice for the first time, she has been a, guest, a previous guest twice. Uh, once, episode 133, when we were talking about the Don't Wait Project. And uh, again, in episode 157, when she launched uh, a beautiful song that she uh wrote the lyrics for and had some amazing Nashville artists uh, record this beautiful life. Beautiful song. Mm-hmm. We, we love following up and we always, especially Lisa seems to have such a boring life at this point, you know, so like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, kidding, obviously, you know, so, so we do love to follow up with our guests and see where they are today, especially those that are like when we met with you before, you know, it, it makes us realize like, okay, I need to do more. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we heard you had a few projects going on uh, more recently. So we said, let's just uh, shoot out a text and, and an email, reach out to her, see what she's uh, what she's got going on. So so tell us a little bit uh, about what you've got going on lately. Well, thank you all for your support throughout these ventures. Uh, well, I launched what is called, a, it's a community app called Take Good Care. And it started because I have built a course, an online course for patients and caregivers that's called Empathetic Healthcare Practices. And as I was building it, I started to feel like, where can I, where can I build community so that not only just put out this course, but interact with the folks who take it and interact with the folks who want to learn more or take a deeper dive or want to build community as a patient or caregiver going through critical or chronic illness. So um, I did that. And then as I finished the course, I thought, let's, let's build community too. And I didn't want to create another, you know, Facebook group or nothing against them, but I wanted it to be a space separate from social media. So I did a lot of research and found an app 
uh, company that I built the app inside. It's called Take Good Care, and the course is inside the app. I have trouble just getting on Facebook and you talking about, well, <laughs> what are you different from that? You know, it's going to be much beefier and better and all that. So uh, <laughs> it's crazy. So yeah, tell, tell- I, I really just, I just want it to be a space where people didn't have distractions. And, you know, sometimes I post on Facebook and maybe at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, people don't want to hear my thoughts about patient care. But I, every time I post within the community app, in the Take Good Care app, I feel like those are my people. You know, they're there for that kind of content. So mm-hmm. it just seems like the right fit. Like, how did you pull this together, this idea to, to put this out to the community, to put this out to help others? Well, I, funny you should ask, because I was the keynote at the OPPO. AOPO? That's yeah. how you say it, right? Yeah. Uh, their conference in San Diego in February 2020, literally just days before the country shut yep. down. I was there. And the person who, oh, yeah, yep. yes. And so the person who hired me said, you know, do you have any courses or trainings? And I said, no, I do not. And then I had a lot more time on my hands, like so many people during the pandemic, that I did a real deep dive into course creation. And, you know, was able to utilize a lot of the, you know, relationships and call upon the providers who are part of my family's story, which is part of the keynote I present as well. Mm -hmm. And it's a 14 module course. That's everything I wish I knew when I started out having cancer at 24 and then most definitely through my late husband, Wesley's illness. Mm. Yeah. And I have to say, um, Lisa, you know, we, we first met you at that AOPO conference and I just want to thank you again. You have been um, always available to us. You've come and you've you've spoken to our volunteers. Uh, you've encouraged some of our, our recipient caregivers. I know you, you actually worked with some of them through this, uh, you know, this next venture, you know, just talking to them, getting, you know, the struggles that they had. So you really were capturing real life, not just yours, but but other stories as well. And I know that it was therapeutic for them to to get to share and share their experiences with you. Well, it's definitely therapeutic for me. Yeah, it's definitely therapeutic for me. I, you know, I I feel like, you know, I'm willing to definitely lend my family's story if it helps someone else better live their own. And definitely going through Wesley's year-long illness and his double lung transplant that he did not survive. Uh, this is just the best thing I can come up with to honor him, his memory, the donor family. You know, as I've said before on your show, he only lived six weeks after transplant, but it was our chance to try. Yeah. And sometimes that's really all you get. Now our son is 24 years old. Hard to believe. It is. Um, But he was five when his dad passed away and he's lived his whole life knowing that we tried. Mm-hmm. how hard we tried amazing I, i'm curious so if i was to go into the into the app so what would i learn about empathetic healthcare practices like what what, what are the main focuses that uh, you guys kind of uh, chose to, to look at well the app is most definitely a place for patients and caregivers who are in the thick of it who are amid a crisis a critical or chronic illness and there's community groups within there, different groups based on different topics. And then the podcast, Take Good Care podcast, which launched today, Ooh, is also there. But also, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and that can be heard everywhere people listen to podcasts, not just inside the app. 
And then the course is 14 modules and it begins with a primary care provider. Just talking about how you utilize a primary care provider, how you build that relationship. And then it has everything from a retired probate judge talking about HIPAA releases and medical directives to, um, you know, every just Dr. Willie, who we're all familiar with from UAB. We talk about communication with providers during a critical care hospital stay. We also um, have a hospice module, a senior care transition module, just everything that, you know, we don't think about a crisis till we're in it. No, and then we're scrambling. Yeah. So I like to think of the app as a place for people who are amid the crisis, but the course is for anyone. It's a preparatory education to help people prepare because we will all face medical intervention in the future, either for ourselves or a loved one, unfortunately. And the better prepared we are for anything, sometimes the better the outcome. Yeah. So that's the goal. And the overall theme is really focused on building a team of trusted providers, developing a succinct and informed voice in your healthcare, because I truly believe that the the more informed we are, the more part of the decision-making we become, the more likely we're, we are to comply with those decisions that we help make, which automatically really can help improve outcomes. You know, I can really appreciate this app because I've, I've learned, um, I've learned working with our families. I've learned with experts that we've brought in on supporting families in grief that when there's a crisis, sometimes we can isolate. And so being able to, to educate someone in a crisis, a medical crisis, how they can build their support system, their community mm-hmm. is, can be, like you said, life-saving. Well, I don't know if you said that, but I mean, this is, it, it does come down to taking care mm-hmm. of your health, which is life-saving. And, um, and to not be alone in something like this. And I, and I think about our families when I was approaching families, and it, it, families would have all their questions ready to go, but a doctor would walk in to share information, and families would just forget. They they couldn't remember yes. their questions. Mm-hmm. And I know that, like, Lopez learned this over time, so now we give families a spiral book that allows them to have pages where that they can write this information down. Um, but I recently went to the doctor to a doctor visit with my daughter who was scared and she just said mom can you go to to get these results with me and I was like well yeah and and she was she had her phone and pulled it out and I thought well I am so proud of this girl you know she she (laughs) grabbed her support system at that time which was me but she had all her questions and I almost I kind of I was kind of like yikes you know do we want to take this doctor's time when she pulled out her her little phone, but she did. She had great questions written down, and there were questions she needed answered. So there was no silly question. She needed those well, answered. Well, yeah, providers, good providers want you to ask questions, you know? Mm-hmm. They want you to ed- educate yourself. And I should mention, too, that with the course, you, I thought of it because you talked about a spiral notebook. I created a calendar and handbook that goes with it. Oh, wow. So it has it it is a it goes through each module with notes that you can take that are based on the questions that are asked throughout the modules. And then there's also a blank calendar. I know a lot of people keep calendars in their phones and things, but it's a place at least to have it in one spot and then transfer it. Yeah. And then there are 
30 blank pages that allow you to take notes in your appointment that have prompted spaces to write certain things in like you know your blood pressure or any labs that your results or other imaging results or to have those prepared questions ahead of time and then there's a place to write prescriptions and allergies emergency contacts all of it it's just a little stitch book like a five and a half by eight and a half paperback mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's free. So when people purchase the course in the app, we ship that out to them for free within a couple of days of them placing the starting as a student of the course. So it just felt like something that they could carry around. They can have it with them. You know, just think about I think about how many times we went to the ER with Wesley and how many prescriptions he had. And if we would have had a place to write them all down with a notebook of, you know, the most recent appointments we'd had and their outcomes. I think that could be very helpful, not only to us, but to providers. And, you know, and as you talk, just all these thoughts are going through my head, because when we're talking to families, we make a call around four months after the loss. And that is to just kind of to check in on their support system, their health, um, just some basics. But at that time, I mean, it is, I would say, 80% of the time I talk to a family, they say, I haven't even had a chance to grieve because I'm going through so much with the the legality of the loss, um, the paperwork, mm -hmm. and things like that. And so when you said this is a pre, pre how did you say it? Pre a preparatory course? Yeah. Yes. And so all I'm focused on the pre, the P-R-E, because that's beforehand. Yes. <laughs> you know, we're never yes. prepared. Like you said, you're not prepared no, not. for a crisis because... If we were prepared, it wouldn't be a crisis because we would know how to move through that. And it sounds like you're reaching out to the community saying, this is something that we all need. One thing that's interesting about it, too, is I work with a lot of providers as an educator who think, wow, I should know more about this. I've helped. I've, I'm a provider. I've taken care of patients. But it's like you don't really know what it's like until you're going through it yourself. And you're, you go home as a provider, you go home, you make dinner, you're with your family, you go to yoga, you watch Netflix, whatever you do with your day, and then you go back to work. Well, if you're the one now facing a critical or chronic illness in your family or for yourself, you don't get to escape. You know, it's with you all the time and your life has changed and it, it's not quite the same navigating as a patient or caregiver as it is as a provider. I have to say, I'm... I'm you know, Nyla mentioned that grateful, I, I'm certainly grateful for you to provide such a great resource for so many people. A couple, couple comments, actually. One, I was, uh, I had a, a, a dinner with a, uh, an old friend who had, uh, he lost his leg and he had had a lot of issues going on at the time. He's my age, uh, which is very young, by the way. Uh, <laughs> his wife is a, is a nurse and, uh, and you mentioned having, you know, writing down on the calendar and, and all the having everything prepared. She actually, when he was going through his crisis, she actually taped uh, multiple papers to his chest because they were being asked the same question. So she taped it to the oh, gown, yes. to the gown, all of his medical history and all the things, so that when each one would come <laughs> in, they would know exactly. that's so smart <laughs> yeah, because it does get uh, answering the same questions. I, Wesley was hospitalized probably eight times that year. And we were grateful. We were at a teaching hospital. He had incredible care in Houston. But sometimes I just, I didn't want to have to explain it all over again. And, and the other thing, I, you know, uh, being, I was, I don't know, at the time, a nurse of 20, 20 plus years. 
and uh, and I had you know personal things going with with a family member, and me and my wife are both. She's a nurse practitioner, and we we couldn't like all the things that we were having to make decisions on and try, try to grasp and understand. Uh, we were prepared because of of all the schooling and all of our medical history, but we we were thinking like how do people that don't have all of this schooling, mm-hmm. how do they prepare for this? How do they go through this and, and be able to be informed and for you to put uh, you know this app together and have, build this community that you did? Again, I, I applaud you uh, and certainly grateful for all those that, that are absolutely uh, you know, going to need that service. Yes, I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope everyone who needs it finds it. I have to say, Lisa, one of the things that I, th- I thought was wonderful was the way that you took your two unique experiences, actually three, because I know your mom was a, a unique experience mm-hmm. as well, um, but put it in a way that it could translate to, to anybody going through either, you know, a, a chronic condition or long, long-term condition. So you really expanded it to make it more accessible you know, and more useful for for bigger communities that probably have a lot of the same experiences, even if the medicine's different, the diagnosis is different, you know, a lot of the emotions and the fears and the the questions are probably, you know, a lot of the same. Well, in the community app, there's, there are different groups you can be part of. And one of them is called the daily. And it's just kind of where I or other people can post inspirational thoughts or links from an article we read or, you know, an episode of the podcast, whatever it is. And it's very much like social media. You can like comments, you can comment, you can post. And then there's another group called the after group. And I created that group for people who maybe it's after transplant, after surgery, um, after treatment, whatever it is, where you're a little further along than maybe the folks that are just now getting started in something but you aren't so far along that you one either don't still need the support or two you're close enough to it that you can be of support still to people in the community app so your after might look different from the other person's my after is that i lost wesley but my after is also that everything i learned from taking care of wesley and navigating my own health crisis helped save my mother's life so my after is also that my mom is still here and It really, when teaching my dad how to navigate her care, he had no idea what he was doing. And I knew my mom didn't want me to do it for him because I had already been through so much with Wesley. So I told my dad at the time, my mom was fine one day and then in a medically induced coma the next day. And when I was in the ICU with him, I told him, this is your for better, for worse. This is your in sickness and in health, I can't do it for you, but I will teach you every single thing I know. And watching him become this skilled, proficient advocate and communicator on my mom's behalf is really what got me thinking that these are teachable skills that I have. You know, I no one wants to become highly skilled at navigating the medical crisis by navigating their own, Right. but that is what's happened. And I feel like I have not just an opportunity, but an obligation to try to help the next person just like I helped my dad. And I think it's possible. I think that we can all, you know, build that team of trust, as I say, and 
you know, develop that voice in our healthcare. We have to, it's imperative. We are the most important component of any healthcare experience. We can choose a different doctor, choose a different treatment, but if we don't comply with the decisions that we help make, we are impacting the outcome and not in a positive way. You know, I, I feel like this um, helps an individual build confidence, having that support around them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you kept saying well, when you're under stress, um, in a medical condition, uh, I, I just recently heard a doctor say under stress, it's like our, our brain is on fire. And so mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. don't think as well. And so being under stress, being scared and not knowing would leave it would leave me feeling very lost. Um, And, you know, another thing I think about is that when I talk to families, something else I have learned with families is that when when you don't know, sometimes our families don't speak up or ask questions. So they sit there with these these questions or concerns that are so personal and heartbreaking, and yet they may not ask them for six months or eight months down the road. And that's a lot of time to sit with something that is uncomfortable. And so I I think that building that confidence for someone will give them that voice to speak up and having that support around them will also build that confidence so that they can speak up. Safe spaces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, Lisa, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming to share this with us. I am downloading Take mm-hmm. good care <laughs> on my way home today, and we'll be Yay. listening to it on my commute home. Uh, I can't wait to to check it out. And uh, you know, I we always say we'll, we'll, we can't wait to have you back. But gosh, I don't know how I don't know where you find the time. But yes, we would love to have you back for the next for wherever you head next. Yeah. <laughs> I think next well, time. I'm as excited. I think next time you should have to come in studio though. Yeah. Oh, I would love to do that. I would love to do that. You know, I have to say you you thanked me earlier for being part of your community. And I have to say that I'm really grateful to be part of your community. I've Every time I've reached out and asked you all for help or support or who do I call about this or who do I talk to about that, you've been incredibly helpful. And, you know, giving the keynote at the conference at the OPA concert, um, concert, conference, um, <laughs> giving the keynote at the AOPO conference, I got to meet some of you and, and people who have been instrumental in helping some of these things along. So I'm really grateful for that and giving a couple other keynotes for the state organizations and that'll be fun. So I just feel like we just keep giving back and forth. And that's, that's the idea. I always say that, take good care of ourselves and each other. That's what that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. So, Lisa, so everybody can find you. Where where can they go to get all your information? Since you're on like seven platforms. (laughs) (laughs) I think the easiest one is to go to Lisa dash like hyphen Bradshaw dot com. So Lisa dash Bradshaw, because the app and the course and all the information is there as well as the TV show and some other fun stuff. So. Yes, that's the best place to go. Fantastic. They can find the app in the app stores. And then the Take Good Care podcast that launched today, you can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts. Wonderful. Well, um, we will definitely put this in the show notes so anybody listening can easily find lisa-bradshaw.com <laughs> and uh, all the amazing things uh, that she has uh, put out there for us and shared with the world. Hey, Lisa, before we wrap up, um, one quick question. So the 
the course. Do I have to go to the app to take the course or where else could I find that? Or could I find it somewhere else? Well, the best way, you know, as I said, the the app is really specifically for people who are in the midst of a chronic or critical illness and the course is for anyone. So that's a great question. What I would suggest is just send me an email, go to the website, contact me through the website, lisa-bradshaw.com, and then I can get you a separate link. Okay, great. Thank you. Lisa, thank Thank you you again for being on and uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. Appreciate it. Take good care. And now it's time for us to take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Nyla, I don't want to step on your boundaries, so what do we got today? Ah, that was, I don't know. <laughs> All the dad jokes. <laughs> you know, boundaries um, is something I'm not very good at. I like to think of boundaries like a fence. Keeps us safe, keeps us in our, you know, our area that we, our space. Um, mine would be, I think, like a picket a broken picket fence so. <laughs> <laughs> with little critters yeah. scurrying in and, out, in and out so i don't know you know i mean but other people's boundaries can be like a brick wall um so it depends you know like i think there's a balance of where your boundaries are but a, a short definition of boundaries are specific limits and needs that you defined to create a healthy space between you and another person um, that this allows you to feel healthy, safe, and comfortable. So the boundaries aren't about keeping people out as much as keeping yourself safe. I mean, they're for you. And so, you know, nice ways, um, some ways to, I guess, to build boundaries are really, first of all, figure out what you want and what you need and why. I think that's the hardest part mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> is figuring out what I want. It's like yeah. I'm so used to like trying to figure out what other people want, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, I'm kind of like that, Kirsten. Like I take on other people's feelings, other people's problems. other. But, you know, those boundaries kind of help you learn what your own experience in life is. And when you're always taking on other people's stuff, and I'm not saying that's what you do. I'm just saying that's what I do. And that's pretty true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this allows you to not take – it allows you to let – somebody be themselves and you be you. Um, So that's one way. Very clearly define your boundary by stating your need from another person. So, I mean, you want to share what your boundaries are. If I encroach on your boundaries and I never told you, well, then... It's on me, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. is. And so we have to kind of think about that, too. It's 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 a way of communication, um, figuring out what you will do to protect your boundary. I mean, are you going to guard your boundary? Are you going to you know stand guard at the gate? Or are you going <laughs> to like just shut your gate and hope that nobody walks in? You have to figure out how are you going to do that. And that's the hard part for me. I can come up with the boundary. I can express the boundary. I don't enforce the boundary. Yeah. Uh, and then communicate it uh, and know your consequence. Like, how are you going to, what are you going to do once somebody steps over your boundary? And then reinforcing that. So, like, for I'm going to go sulk. Well, my, 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 <laughs> what I would do. My wife just yells it at me Joey, boundaries, Joey. Boundaries. <laughs> okay. But, you know, and the other thing is being prepared to be not comfortable with it. It's not like, okay, so I will say this. I came home and I told my, my family, I said, I'm working on boundaries. And my kids, and my husband were like, good, good, do it. And then I was like, I am, I am going to do it. And I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it today. And they're like, do it. And so the next morning I, they got up and I had some stuff written out and they're like, what? 
You mean the boundary? Like, no, we don't. <laughs> like, they were so upset because it affects them. And they didn't take that into consideration. They just thought I'd take care of myself. So uh, it is work. But Wait, you know, <laughs> you met with us? Yeah. <laughs> you can't come into my space. Yeah, just fix yourself. Don't yeah. try to fix us. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So, but you know, backing it up a little bit, boundaries and grief are so important. And, uh, we we want people we don't want to encroach somebody's boundaries but we also want to be open to hearing somebody's boundaries and encouraging them to have boundaries because but again that goes back to they need to take time for themselves to see what it is they need and um what they want you know it's interesting that you say that because i have to say in times of of intense grief i do tend to focus on what other people need and don't and I think that part of it may be, you know, kind of a coping mechanism of not wanting to look inside to figure out what I need, because yeah. then you have to, you know, come to terms with that you're that you really are grieving yeah. and that you may need help. Mm-hmm. You know, it hurts. So. I mean, it's it's hard to hurt and it hurts to hurt. So. Yeah, but it's something to think about. And there's lots of information out there, lots of podcasts, lots of books. And, you know, just finding that safe place to maybe find somebody who can help you make your boundaries or establish your boundaries. And boundaries don't have to be forever. They they can be um, they can be short term. They can just be for a day if that's what you need. Uh, but again, there's that communication piece and taking time for yourself to figure out what you need. So, so did your kids reestablish your boundaries mm-hmm. or do you still have them where you set them? You know where I said I had that broken picket fence? So it's still broken. I haven't quite so the fixed it yet. Running in. <laughs> yeah, everyone it, it running in and out, but I'm working on it. I'm building a fence. <laughs> well, Troy's got this beautiful glass wall uh, <laughs> between us. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I can see like maybe putting shades on it every <laughs> once in a while and saying, I'm not even going to look at you now. <laughs> But anyway, I hope that it helps us take care of ourselves so that we can better help others along their journeys. And that's what it's all about, right? Community, helping each other. Absolutely. Well, that's great information, Nyla. If you have a topic you would like Nyla to cover, please email us at info at thegiftedlife.org. All right. We are on to our question and answer segment. And today's question was emailed to us. I was just diagnosed with kidney disease. How do I get listed for a transplant? I'm sorry to hear that. And that's, that's a tough disease to, to live with. And of course, I think, f- first of all, uh, it's, a, it's important to be that patient advocate for yourself, as we had been talking about, yep. and have that conversation with your primary caregiver, whether that's uh, your internal medicine doctor or your nephrologist. Um, there are different levels of chronic kidney disease. And uh, just because you're diagnosed with it, you may still be able to live with that kidney for years. Uh, so it, it depends. So you have to figure that part out and, and obviously be that advocate for yourself with your, your primary caregiver. If it does come to that point, um, they will be one to, to lean on to re- refer you. But I would also encourage you to look up on unos.org backslash transplant, U-N-O-S dot O-R-G backslash transplant. There's a ton of information there, whether it's, we're talking about kidneys specifically here, but whether that might be liver or you found out you've got heart failure or whatever issue you may have, there's a ton of information here that you can find about others like you, 
about uh, the transplant centers that may be around you and, and a lot of the statistics behind it. So uh, I'd encourage you to do your homework. And, and like I said, it's important to be that advocate for yourself. Okay, Joey. So that's a great resource. Um, you mentioned um, that they would be the ones to refer you. Do they refer you to the list or do they refer you to... Can you clarify that's a great, that? That's a great question. They would refer you to a transplant center. Great question. And it's so, so the referrals come in from your pr- pr- primary caregivers to transplant centers. Now, look, if if it's not working, then if it's me, I'm going into the ER at the transplant center. I don't encourage that because you know obviously the the, the best way to do it is is by referral. Um, but one way or another, the transplant centers will be the ones to. F- Finish the evaluation. Determine if you are eligible for a transplant. Start the workup, and then put you on on the wait list. Got. I'm glad you clarified that because I know it's important, and a lot of people think they can just go to their doctor and yeah. get on the list. So, yeah. okay. I always learn from these questions. So, out to our audience, we appreciate your questions. So, if you have one, please um, please give us a call five zero four six four eight three four seven seven. In every episode, we honor a hero, and today's hero is Blade Hunt. We learn about Blade from his family. Our sweet baby boy, Blade Wayne Hunt, gained his wings at the age of six. He was such a loving little boy and a big ball of energy. We know that Blade is smiling down from heaven, knowing that he saved many lives by gifting his organs, because he loved helping people any way he could. We hope someday to meet the ones that received Blade's organs to see his life living on. We love you, Blade, our little hero. And now we pause and say thank you to Blade for the gift of life. And that's a wrap for episode 214. Wow. Very special thanks to Miss Lisa Bradshaw. I mean, she's she's so uh, you know boring all the time, just I sitting know. back sipping mai tais and you know <laughs> looking at the beach. Uh, <laughs> or you know, for her to put that app together to to be able to think like she does and think outside of herself mm-hmm. so often, and what can I do? And the fact that you know she talked about building communities and and to be able to have that outreach for people who are in critical or chronic illness stages uh it's that's amazing and and certainly kudos to her i was thinking about how she has to stay present because you know when we asked her about the idea where does this idea come from i mean she's speaking at aopo so it's amazing that she like you said she's thinking outside of herself and and trying to help and she is just coming up with some incredible ideas and using her own experiences with that it's it was incredible and i'm so glad that we got to have her back And remember, the best place to find us is on our website, thegiftedlife.org, and you can check out our previous episodes with Lisa there, 133 and 157. And listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. It really helps others find us. On social, like our Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. 
Thanks for listening and go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nyla Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>